Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Today I'm being joined, of course, it is the second week of the month, none other than Aaron from Down to the Crossroads. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I am oh. stoked is how I am. I am stoked wow. for this here Down to the Crossroads week. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> Amen. I really, I really like this week. This is a good week. All right. Um. So it is November 8th, and we have a smashing show for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. We're going to start off with The Devil's Advocate. We're doing a little bit of old school this episode. We're not only covering The Devil's Advocate, but we're also doing an Infernal Informant. It's been forever since I've done one of those. Um, I do have some nice letters that I'm just sort of sitting on. So if you've written in and you haven't heard back from me and I haven't addressed it on the show, either I'm ignoring you or I'm just <laughs> biding my time and trying to break up the episode so it's not all nine cents letters. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we're going to start with The Devil's Advocate, a little erotic crystallization inertia. Now, this is mm-hmm. an essay from Anton Zanderlevey's collection, The Devil's Notebook. ECI, it is an important satanic principle, uh, notion, idea, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk all about it. So look forward Can't to that. Wait. Heather Height is uh, gifting us with yet another something different. So Yay. tune in to that immediately following. And then in Formal Format, as mentioned before, junk food isn't to blame for America's obesity epidemic. Duh. It's aliens. I knew it. Fucking those laser beams from space causing us to be fatties. All right. Then, of course... Aaron's in the house. We're doing a little Down to the Crossroads, episode 38. What are you calling this one? This one's called Lucky Red Devil Policy Player's Dream Book Blues. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a mouthful, but... Longest title <laughs> ever. That's cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. They're always You're really great. And uh, that, that uh, just... Uh, Lucky Red Devil Policy Player's Dream Book Blues. Wow. All right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so the good. appetite with that title. A um, <laughs> couple things, a couple notes before we dive in as usual. Uh, for those of you who care, uh, I do this homebrewing little blog called Wart Nation. I just released the third episode. You can find it on Facebook or, um, I don't know, I guess it's really only Facebook. Google Plus too, but no one ever goes there. So <laughs> if you're interested, uh, Google Wart Nation. Uh, it's a pretty good little video. And you get to see me look like a total douchebag. So this this last <laughs> video is broken up into two segments that were done almost two full weeks separate from each other. And you can see how far my hair has grown out in that time and how little I care about how I look at the end of that video. It is the worst <laughs> And I have, I don't know, what, do you have like a crazy colics or curls in your hair that you just can't manage? No. Really? You're know. so lucky. So my hair, the longer it gets, the wavier and curlier it gets. And my colics are just insane. And you, I really feature them heavily at the end of this next uh, War Nation video. It's horrible. I, I can't like, wait to tune in to see your colics. I, I totally look like a fucking conehead. It is horrible. <laughs> awesome. So, yay. I'm like a mm. stupid Adam. Uh, but the information's good, and if you were, you know, watching it to see what the how the pumpkin ale turns out, that is how you're going to finish up that series. Um, a little quick note here: Are you a are you a thief, Aaron? <laughs> Not things? anymore. <laughs> I, I think it's a rite of passage for everyone that they yeah. isn't it? Maybe it's just me that they go through a little phase, maybe where I they. I think most people do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Why? Why do you depending ask? on what it is. So I'm asking because we caught my daughter stealing a bracelet. Like we were 
like coming in the car from the store and she had this new oh. bracelet on. We're like, huh. Oh where did my you get goodness. that? And she's all, get what? The bracelet on your wrist. What bracelet? Oh my god. <laughs> like the only one on your you you cannot play a logic game with me. You are six. <laughs> like you You're will not win this me. out. So after like a big argument, uh, we finally got to the point where she air quotes found it on the floor. <laughs> Oh my god. She didn't steal I it. She just found it on the floor. <laughs> so we're just sort of like stuck in this moment like, hmm. Hmm. What, like, uh, you see, be, because I do think there are particular cases and times in life where stealing is a little worse than others. Yeah. Uh, I believe in degrees of existence yes. here. <laughs> sure. Of course. So you steal someone's last bite of bread and they're starving. Well, maybe you should be punished. You find a bracelet on the floor, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe, I don't know. So we stuck her in the corner and we told her, you know, that it's not good to steal things. You have to earn it. You have to buy it yourself or you have to, you know, have some holiday and you've been good so that we would buy it for you if you wanted it. But you just cannot take what you want because it belongs to someone else. And in this case, the corporate entity we were at. So, mm -hmm. and that's a harder argument to make. <laughs> yeah. When, but there was 80 of them. No one else wanted them. They're <laughs> just <laughs> sitting there. Uh, so we ended up, like my wife took her back and made her give it back mm. to the store and apologize for taking it. But yeah, I, what, do, what do you think uh, would have uh, been a good disciplinary action for, for the first time caught stealing? Oh, I think you handled it perfectly. I think the humiliation of making them go back and say, you know, cop to what they've done, that's exactly what needs to happen. Because I think I remember times in my life where I wasn't really made to be accountable for my shitty behavior. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that explains a lot about me now. <laughs> yeah, my parents were a little permissive when it came to shit like that. And that just doesn't work. Like, yeah. <laughs> you have to teach them young. At six, I think, is a, is a good age to get it started. I mean, I was never... a I never really went through a big phase of stealing, but there are times where I, you know, it was part of growing up is just testing people's limits and see what you can get away with, you know. Yeah. But I, I'm not a, you know, I never really was like a, sh a bad kid. I was a shithead, but I was not really into like, <laughs> I was too afraid of the consequences of things. So, yeah, teaching yeah. your kid at that age that there are consequences to things they do, that's exactly the right thing to do. See, I, I grew up and my stepbrother was... Uh, kleptomaniac like Whoa. insane he stole every, it didn't matter what it was he didn't even yeah. want it he just did it it was just crazy and <laughs> right. i never and he never admitted to it even though like the proof was literally in his hands and so mm. when i started smoking but we were still too young to buy it ourselves mm. i would just convince him to steal them for me <laughs> like, oh sure yeah i didn't <laughs> want to do it because i didn't want to get punished but he was already a klepto he was already stealing he might as well you know hook his brother up in the process yeah, man. And so I had a hard time seeing anything wrong with that. I still have a hard time seeing anything yeah. wrong with that, even though I guess maybe in theory, I don't know, you could sort of six degrees Kevin Bacon explain it away as being a bad thing. Yeah, like you're definitely to be you're definitely complicit in this. <laughs> maybe not responsible, but definitely complicit. It's weird. But uh, so, you know, w with that, my <laughs> lack of ethics, I guess. I mean, my lack of morals, it, it's a tif it's difficult because, you know, there's a lot of little 
events in watching your children grow up that are sort of key events that you have to say, okay, this happened, we need to talk about this, and we yeah. need to make sure you understand the lesson from this. Whether it's being jumped by a bunch of fucking Latin thugs on Halloween mm. with my son, or God. it's my daughter coming home with a brand new bracelet from who knows where, you always have to like stop, take a minute, and be like, all right, we need to examine this just a little bit. Yeah, you cannot yeah. just roll past this in life experience. Like there, there are these moments. Did you ever? Could you? I don't know. Maybe recall anything like that happening to you? Like a moment where you're like, "Oh, I should learn from this." Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> off the no. top of my head, not really. No. <laughs> I had. Oh god. I, I was such. I'm. I'm such an idiot. Like I'm the <laughs> stupidest boy on the planet. Uh, like growing up, I used to, I'm so dumb. I would act like I was sleeping, thinking that people would believe that I'm sleeping. Oh, yeah. Like, so for, let me give an example. This is how dumb Adam is. <laughs> I was visiting my girlfriend and we were, you know, making out, playing video games. This is when it was just Nintendo. So we were playing Street Fighter and I was beating her and she was getting super mad. So she called other friends to come over to, I guess, not hang out with me anymore <laughs> but uh i didn't want to hang out with her other friends and so you know she put on a movie she was really big into dr Zhivago, so she put on that and i just sort of laid down on the floor the lights were off and so i just acted like i went to sleep when her friends came over and i, I played it up for like 30 minutes like they were like how could he go to sleep so quick there's no way he's asleep and i'm just like i'm asleep <laughs> Wow. Wide awake, stupid Adam, like they couldn't tell me. So like moments <laughs> like that, like you're not fooling anyone, Adam. <laughs> you are literally being seen as an idiot. Like everyone knows you're awake. You can't get away with stupid shit like this. And so I mean, like uh, the first time I was jumped, that was a big one in my mind. Like, okay, you know what? I need to learn <laughs> never to take a Puerto Rican girl around a bunch of black gangbangers because... Holy <laughs> fuck, does problems start? Maybe that wasn't the lesson I should have taken away from it, but that's uh -huh. the lesson I took away from it. Sounds Terrible. about right. Yeah, or, or I, it, alternatively, don't date Puerto Rican girls, because wow. holy fuck, do they have males. <laughs> no offense to any of you listening, if in, you date them or are one. I love it, I really do. Just uh, not around gangsters. Um, all right, so that, I don't know, I just wanted to bring that up in, in that, you know, it's weird being a parent, because... You would think that at some point you can sort of ease the brakes and just let their lives move on and you don't have to hover and help them through everything, but it never happens. Like you're constantly, my son is almost in high school and I still have to sort of grab a hold and say, pay attention from time to time. I just, mm -hmm. I'm hoping there's going to be a day. I don't think it's ever going to come when I can yeah. just coast, <laughs> you know, yeah. just like, Hey, you're on your own, man. You do. Yeah. You. Apparently That's a six-year-old girl is not it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't. Damn it. I'm just going to, like, when she's, like, 16 or 18 or something, just give her, like, an adult magazine. All right, you should probably know about this by now. Go to the world. <laughs> Fly. Be a butterfly. Spread your wings. No, it's, uh... Being a parent sucks sometimes. <laughs> See, nothing... that's why I'm that, That's why you don't have any? <laughs> yep. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to do a little voodoo ritual so that uh, you and Josh can spawn a child. <laughs> oh, God. Please don't. I'm going to do a little Santeria. <laughs> okay. I hope that works out for you. That'd be really funny if that did work. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, how about we talk a little about uh, a little ECI? I'd love to. That's a better one. In nomine de nostris, Thomas Luciferi, Excelsior. In the name of Satan. 
respect of men, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. All right, this is erotic crystallization inertia from The Devil's Notebook. All right, that which is pleasing to the eye gives joy, and joy gives strength, and strength gives life. We receive pleasure in many ways and by diverse means, but the most conscious of all is through eye appeal. Man is a visually oriented animal. He establishes standards of visual attractiveness of an inflexible nature. If the standards he has set forth for beauty are modified by fashion or social change, he will never be quite as happy as before the change took place. As he grows older and styles change more, he will cling to the substance of his joy by retreating into social circles where he might reminisce of what once made him happy. In this way, he maintains his vitality, albeit vicariously. With his cronies, he will talk of the good old days, days replete with the sights so dear to him, now so sadly changed. His pals and his elderly girls who abound in the old compound share his nostalgia, and their clothing is out of style. Out of style? How fortunate for the inmates of senior citizen centers that they can maintain at least some semblance of the good old days, if only on their backs. Little do they realize that this very outdatedness is keeping them alive. So Anton LaVey talks about a lot of really uh, interesting ideas uh, for example, uh, there's at one point he said he thought Satanists were chromosomally different than other human beings. And he's been uh, sort of shortchanged, I think, because he has borrowed a lot of ideas in which he formulated Satanism um, uh, with. But ECI, in, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've never heard or seen it anywhere else. This is all him. And I think it's an amazing idea that I really wanted to explore um, because I think it is all his and I think there's something to it. So uh, at the basis of this idea, erotic crystallization inertia, is that as human beings, there are moments in our life that we sort of that are crystallized for us forever, that we sort of connect to. And you can see this in anyone walking around day to day, where you, you, that, that one person that just dresses like they're from the 70s, you know, they're all grown up. It's not a fad. It's not a, a thing. They're just, that is where their hearts are in time. And they will always do everything they can to connect to that. And, and this parallels, you know, those other ideas that Satanists need to own their aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's important for us to recognize that. Um, and so the results of owning your aesthetic, if it is from this uh, moment of crystallization in your life history, it's a way of keeping you uh, vitally alive rather than just stagnating and depleting away. Anton LaVey in this essay talks a lot about um, like the old folks' homes and how some people, once they go into these, they become revitalized. They become more energetic. And their children who put them in there are surprised because before they went in, they were all sort of down and sick and and just dying like every old person does. Mm -hmm. And uh, Anton LaVey's theory is that it's because of erotic crystallization inertia. They are in an environment with other individuals that experience the same love of the time as they do, and that revitalizes you. There's an energy about connecting with the world in that specific time. Um, It's it's a pretty amazing idea. Have you run across people like this, Erin, that you can immediately oh, just say oh yeah yeah me <laughs> me and yes. josh i guess like our, our whole house is like a shrine to the our childhoods you know and it makes us happy and we like it and you know it doesn't mean that we stand in the way of progress or that we're closed-minded and don't want to you know fashion is one thing 
it's different than like our worldviews and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to address is that just because we sort of um, are stuck in an era, maybe you could say, um, it doesn't mean that we're not forward thinking and, and sort of progressive in nature too. But yeah, I mean, I'm never happier than when I have that very distinct feeling that um, I'm sort of living my childhood dream, you know? Mm -hmm. Like eating pizza, drinking wine, and watching horror movies. Like, oh, this is fucking it, <laughs> man. Like, I'm awesome. living the life. And yeah. it's because it was the life that when I was happiest, when I had no responsibilities, when I was, you know, younger, teenager, you know, obviously drinking wine wasn't part of the equation when I was much younger, <laughs> but um, just enjoying, like, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> But yeah, that feeling of like, and I and I recognize that feeling really, really strongly of like, oh, this is why I'm happy is because because it reminds me of when I was happiest. Did you ever go through a time where you were trying to fit in uh, oh. with fashion or with uh, decor around you and you just didn't connect with it? All the fucking time. <laughs> All the fucking time, man. I feel so, I mean, I'd, I'd like to quite quote minor threat, but I feel out of step with the world almost <laughs> constantly, you know? Um, and it's not something I've ever tried to, you know, I don't yeah. really enjoy it. You know, I've, I've come to accept it and, um, you know, at times relish in it and because it gives me a sense of superiority sometimes, which, you know, it's an, another discussion, but yeah. I'm constantly out of step with, with the times. I've had the same fucking closet full of clothes for 10 years or so. I don't care about fashion. I, I can't. It's not important to me. Like, nothing about it moves me. And, and everything. I like old cars. I like old clothes. I like all the old, old movies, yeah. old music, obviously, like all of these things. I'm constantly at, at odds with the world and I don't understand it, you know, and I feel out of touch with it sometimes. But then I, but then of course I meet people the same age as me and I go, oh wait, we're all fucking going through the same shit basically, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It is interesting. And, and you touched on a couple of things there. One was the environment, which I want to hit on in just a second, but also in fashion. And so LeVay addresses the fashion element in this essay. Um, in, in the way that the, the entire idea of fashion and the message that's sent out when every new season of fashion comes, it's, you know, here's a new fashion, you're going to feel great. Just dress in what's out and popular in this season and you're going to feel wonderful. Right. And yeah. the truth is, more often than not, it's the opposite. You feel worse because you're not connected to, to those new fashions or, or the, the, the specific look that everyone seems to think is really great. Do you remember mm -hmm. there was a time, and I'm not talking about parachute pants, which was a horrible time anyway, but there was like a moment where rappers had like, extra extra saggy pants <laughs> like sure. it looked like they had a diaper on they were so <laughs> saggy uh -huh. it was just like gross like super droopy and people were just like yeah <laughs> let's do this i remember I, I was stationed in germany in <laughs> on or around 2000 and there was like a big thing with the kids to have like long sleeve shirts but <laughs> only one arm in one of the sleeve shirts and the other one just going up around the shoulder so they were half wearing their shirts like but that was like the cool thing to do and I, it was so foreign to me i could not understand i was like are you trying to bring some like weird urban hip-hop fashion sense to mm -hmm. germany <laughs> like these people are still reeling from the 40s and 30s i don't think you're right. gonna really but <laughs> it, it, was, it was so weird so it's, the idea yeah. that fashion is somehow 
um, refreshing or will make you feel young is complete bullshit. I mean, it's a well, half truth. Yes, exactly. And it's much more alienating, I think. You know, it's mm. sort of like, it's interesting because I'm going to talk about this kind of thing in Down at the Crossroads, ironically, but, uh, or coincidentally, maybe not ironically, but um, the fact that there's in groups, you know, so fashion sort of creates in groups and out groups, you know, the outliers, like, you know, fashion is for the young people. Like those are the people that are revitalized or energized by changing fashions or people who are young enough to appreciate that and want that. But people like me, you know, I sit, you know, Josh and I sit around and watch TV and they like, there's some playing some music and we're both staring at each other, like blinking, you know, like, I don't get this. And then <laughs> we both have to go, Oh wait, this isn't for us. This is for yeah. young people and we're not young people anymore. So that's the thing is it it is alienating in a lot of ways to us old people or people who are just always out of step. Like I have always been out of step. Um, no matter how hard I tried, I never fit in, but the, you know, this sort of fashion and changing fashions, is just another sort of slang. It's just another way of like, creating in-groups and creating, you know, cliques among yeah. people and it's not for us, you know, and it's time for, you know, there's a time for us old people to just step aside and say, oh, this isn't for us. Like, stop, you know, we can't shake our fists at the TV and say, this is, you know, kids <laughs> you these kids. days. Yeah, you know, man, like, it's not kids these days. It's always, or it's always been kids these days. You know, we're just old. It's not for us. We aren't supposed yeah. to get it. And we have to fucking accept that. And, 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 and you know, wallow in our, what is ours to enjoy. Yeah. But I think that it's really important, too, because as soon as you realize, and we've all seen those adults that never have realized it, and they just look yes. desperate and sad. Pathetic, and yes. It's so gross. But <laughs> as an adult, you have to realize, okay, well, what's happening now is just not my time. It is not right. my style. It's not for me. And so you have to go back in time to where you really did crystallize. Do you think that you could connect with an era that you weren't even born in? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I think people do that all the time. It's interesting because, you know, we grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, those were our main informative years. Mm -hmm. um, and we think of the 70s, 80s and 90s in a specific way, but it was very much different, at least for me, living in it than it was mm -hmm. remembering it. And I think that's how it is for a lot of eras that we think back fondly of you know there was oh. what it really was like and then there was what people remember it being and we yeah. always remember the good or the really bad but we never really remember how it actually was which is more blase than anything and we like to attach as a specific style with a certain decade sometimes mm -hmm. um, and so it is interesting when for those people who connect with an era that they didn't live in uh, they, they sort of had this erotic crystallization with that time that when they connect with it, it invigorates them. Yeah. But they're not even really connecting with that time. They're connecting with the way we now perceive that time. <laughs> so is it important? Is it's, reality important in erotic crystallization and inertia? No. <laughs> it's really not like, you know, for me at least. You know, mm -hmm. you think about shows like Happy Days. Like, it was a show that was made in the 70s that was just nostalgia for the 50s. But as a kid, I was confused by it. Like, oh. I don't quite get what's going on here. Like these people don't dress like whatever or whenever Happy Days was made. It was made in the seventies, right? Eighties, seventies, eighties. I really don't know. <laughs> it was color, they, so it was seventies, I think. Okay, yeah. So, um, 
but it was nostalgia for a different time altogether. And I remember as a kid having the biggest crush, the biggest that, you know, not to date, but up to that time, I'd never had a bigger crush on anyone except but Richie Valens, because I saw the movie oh, La Bamba. And I was yeah. like, that's not my time at all. But I was so deeply in love with Richie Valens, who, but it wasn't even Richie Valens. It was yeah. Lou Diamond Phillips <laughs> as Richie Valens. But yeah. I didn't know the difference. But reality is not important at all in that sort of thing. Like, I think that's really important, too, because mm-hmm. if, if you're going to want to be invigorated by something, and even if you don't consciously know you're being invigorated by but if it's going to enliven you it doesn't matter if it's real or not it's just how you experience it that's important Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. do you think it's a conscious thing or is this an unconscious thing that we just go through life something clicks with us and then we're just there yeah totally unconscious almost completely unconscious it is interesting because a lot of this you know people you try, you know, especially in high school is a big one with fashion. You know, it, it's a way to form tribes and to to form uh, enemies and, and uh, companions and stuff that are going to last you for at least a couple years. Um, but it's a way to experience sort of tribal human nature. And we use fashion uh, to that end. You always run across people who are trying to, oh, I want to be with the hippie crowd. Or oh, the, my God. The yeah. rock crowd. Or I want to be with the, you know, this car greaser crowd or you, or the jock crowd or whatever it is. And you're never really, really finding what is connecting with you. Um, mm-hmm. And I like looking back, nothing that I did in high school ever became a part of my ECI. Oh. It's huh. weird. Like, yeah. I, I'm one of those people that we just talked about where I, I connect a little bit further back than I was yeah. actually alive in, which is weird, I think, because I tried so, and maybe that's why, is that I was trying mm. to do something other than what was natural to me, yeah. to be all these different things. And even, even when I first discovered Satanism, that was a big mm. one for me too. And I think a lot of first phasers go through this, mm. where they try to be what in their heads is a Satanist, you know? The, yeah insane idea that there is such a thing but they try to be whatever that is to them rather than just accepting okay well this this is who i am and this is how i'm using this um did you ever find yourself in that place or were you beyond that point um i i i don't know neither i was i don't feel like i was beyond that point i was just so um overjoyed to find something that connected that i connected with so much you know it was just sort of like i didn't because i didn't see it as like prescriptive you know I didn't see it as a handbook a how-to book you know I just I read it and I said oh cool like I get it completely like I didn't feel like I had to change to fit into it you know um and I you know and I and also my um progression into it was very very slow and subtle you know I didn't I didn't read the satanic bible and then immediately decide this is who I am this is what I'm going to do this is it from now on I read it and I was like okay wow like and then years you know years passed and it was a very slow introduction to it um but so I never felt that like I gotta change to be this thing (laughs) you know well it is interesting so before you had mentioned um your your where you live your environment with your man Mm -hmm. so total environments is sort of uh 
you know, we have owning your own personal aesthetic that's important mm-hmm. as a Satanist and owning your own total environment, which oh, yeah. is part of the pentagonal revisionism. It's part of what we want to achieve in life mm-hmm. collectively, well, individually, really, as Satanists, is we want to have our own environment where no one else bothers us and it's styled in just the way we want. And ECI is an important component that binds these two very different ideas, mm-hmm. seemingly Uh, very different ideas together. You have the ECI for your personal appearance and for the environment around you. Um, Can you imagine where those two would just be exact opposites or not even match at all? No, not really. I can't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's really a part of who and what you are as you've grown up and sort of had this moment crystallize for you and Mm -hmm. you just want to be in that moment. Anton LaVey was famous for this. Um, he had his den of iniquity for mm-hmm. his total environment. The whole black house was his total environment. Uh, personal aesthetics. I mean, you can't argue. I mean, he, he borrowed a little from Ming the Merciless, but other than that, he, it was all him, and he, he spun it in a way that was powerful, and it resonates to today. There's people yeah. trying to be like him. 50 some odd years after the fact. So, and, and you can see through his uh, history of photos, he connected deeply with the 30s and 40s and yeah. this noir era of film. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is a lot of where this idea came out of from him, is this erotic crystallization inertia. And it helped him live much happier in those end of uh, times for him. And, you know, he, he talks about it in a way that it does extend your happiness, therefore your health, therefore your life, not in a measurable way, not in a mathematical way, but it will do it because you are actually in a better place mentally and uh, physically, really, if it's your environment. And I don't know, I, I wouldn't argue that that does help elongate one's life. Maybe not by years, but it certainly elongates uh, uh, the quality of life and the life you're leading. Yes, exactly. Um, So it's an important idea to understand. I think everyone needs to really get out there, pick up The Devil's Notebook if you haven't already, read Erotic Crystallization Inertia by Anton Zanderlevey. It's a fantastic essay. We have only really touched on it. Anton LeVay has a really wonderful way of explaining his ideas that are, is really different than the way we're doing it. So do yourselves a favor, check it out, and uh, let's uh, let's move on to a little something different with Heather Height. of Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. Today I'm going to tell you a story. 
This is the story of a little boy named James who was born in England in the late 1800s. He was the second to youngest of 10 children, eight of which lived, two died before he was born. When he was six years old, his mother's favorite son, who was about to turn 14 the very next day, passed away. And of course, his mother was a wreck. I mean, not only is it traumatizing, that your mother has a favorite child, but then that favorite child passes away. And you spend your childhood feeling sorry that you weren't the one that went or that she misses him and there's nothing you can do about it. He he was only six and he actually, according to the story, started putting on his brother's clothes and talking like his brother or whatever and trying to help his mother get over it. I can't imagine that that helped because not only don't I have a favorite child, but I get my kids mixed up all the time. So I could imagine it would be kind of traumatic to have one of them start acting like one that passed away. So he ended up helping his mother by telling stories with her. They spent a lot of time telling stories and according to this is that um, his mother actually helped to raise her siblings from the time she was eight and then probably started having kids at a pretty young age. So chances are, I mean, me, myself, I I had my first child when I was 17. I certainly stricken with an arrested development. So this woman was probably on par emotionally with her son when, uh, when he was six. So they told stories together, lots of children's stories. He read her lots of children's stories like Robinson Crusoe and things like that. And another thing that his mother did that helped her to recover, if you ever can recover from losing a child, is that she really relished in the in the in imagining that her son, who was thirteen when he passed away, would never grow up. He would never grow old and leave her and enter the world of men and and this made her feel so much better like that sort of in a way he would always be with her as a child he would always be a little boy and a strange thing that happened to James was that he stopped growing I don't know at what age but he never grew past um, five foot three and a half inches tall and also supposedly didn't really develop any secondary sexual characteristics, although he he had facial hair. He never had any children of his own. He married, but, you know, never sired anybody. And he also grew up to become a writer and wrote a lot of stories about children and little boys who never grew up, including the story of Peter Pan. This little boy was J.M. Barry. I just heard this story today. It's something I just never knew. I don't know if any of you did. And I found it fascinating. It's It spoke to me about the perseverance of, of humans. And it also made me think about last week's something different. Adam thanked me for being so candid and showing vulnerability. A lot of Satanists don't really show a lot of vulnerability. A lot of us can be very, like humble and somewhat self-deprecating and I always see that as a sign of strength when you can be self-deprecating and you could you could admit your weaknesses how are you supposed to improve upon them if you just walk around all puffed up and acting like you're perfect I know we're supposed to be our own gods but even the the Christian god he's 
he's incredibly vulnerable and insecure. He doesn't want you to worship any other gods. And he's always smiting people about it and shit. You know, he's kind of an asshole. So I think vulnerability is part of being human, but so is overcoming your vulnerabilities. And I don't know how good it is to never grow up. Literally, like physically, not grow up. It is an awesome thing to turn your vulnerabilities into a coping mechanism that becomes a profitable career. Not just profitable monetarily, but profitable like mentally or spiritually. I'm sure that it helped him a lot to put all these things down on paper. And just like I was talking about medicating anxiety, I have no problem turning to science to find ways to rewire my fucked up brain chemistry. And I think that also going into comedy is a big part of coping with whatever I've had to go through. A lot of comics have done that. There's many comics who have had really messed up childhoods. I've often said, it's like actually one of my favorite things, is that female comics are just one daddy issue away from the pole. I may have said it on this show before too. I may have said it last week. I don't know. I don't take medication for memory. But anyway, I just thought that that was an interesting story and kind of food for thought. Don't worry about being perfect. As Satanists, we recognize that we're also um, just another animal on this planet, and that makes us very vulnerable. So don't deny your vulnerability. Kind of embrace it. See if you can work with it. I think that's way more satanic than walking around all big and (laughs) arrogant and not admitting your weaknesses. This has been another edition of Something Different with Heather Height. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Hail Satan. This is from Fortune.com. According to study by Cornell, junk food isn't to blame for America's obesity epidemic. This is posted November 6th by Claire Grodin. Real sexy last name there, Grodin. Grodin. (laughs) Soda and sweets aren't making America's fat. In fact, underweight Americans consume more junk food than those who are morbidly obese. In a new study in the journal Obesity Science and Practice, 
Cornell professors analyzed the food intake of about 6,000 people, according to MarketWatch. The study found that consuming more fast food candy and soda was not correlated with higher body mass indexes. While a diet of chocolate bars and cheeseburgers washed down with a Coke is inadvisable from a nutritional standpoint, these foods are not likely to be a leading cause of obesity. The trick, the professors say, is portion control. Eliminating the junk food that gets so much bad attention won't make a difference unless it's paired with a generally improved diet and exercise. If you want to try and prevent obesity or want to create policy that is going to help people, simply address the availability of junk foods and soda isn't going to do it. Professor David just said in a Cornell post, this isn't the difference between fat people and skinny people, it's other things. The researchers did find one significant eating difference between the two who were morbidly obese and everyone else. French fries. Those whose BMIs surpassed 44.9 and were considered morbidly obese ate 50% more French fries than the average person. So this is sort of a, a, one of those no-duh ideas that yeah. no one really <laughs> takes into account when they're actually trying to be healthy in any measurable uh. way. Is you know, I, I had a friend at work who she was really, really convinced that she had to constantly eat in order to mm -hmm. raise her metabolism in order to cut the weight. Oh Which, my God. In, 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 your, in your head, in reality, it makes no sense that that would do it. And in reality, it didn't. And she never lost weight and she always looked the same. Uh -huh. um, and so I bring this up uh, not to sort of harp on a healthy diet, but we just mm -hmm. talked about ECI, about... Um, living a, a longer, healthier life by connecting with that uh, moment that you connect with in time, you know, we're human beings. Our cells degenerate. It is part of what it means oh. to be a living creature. You die. So. And what we want to do as Satanists, especially because there is no other place that we're going to go and live happily. We're not going to get those seven virgins, which is kind of a <laughs> bullshit fucking deal, if you ask me. <laughs> but anyway... We're not going to get them. Only right. the fucking jihadists get them, which is, again, bullshit. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but we can have them here, so it's okay. Uh, you, <laughs> I'm totally losing my train of thought because of fucking... Virgin. Oh, God damn let, it. please let me jump in because okay. there are very few things in this world in which I consider myself an expert, but like... Um, I won't say dieting, but like weight management is maybe one of those places where I'm consider myself an expert and only um of about me you know i can't tell yeah. i won't tell other people what to do but i have been struggling with weight my entire life i'm sure i've talked about this on the show before because i tend to talk about it a lot but i do love to see people t doing like the paleo diet or like <laughs> whatever fucking bullshit diet they're onto today and it's like um I get that, I, you know, I get where this comes from. This Because people want a fucking easy fix, you know. They mm -hmm. want to say, like, oh, just cut out this one thing or just eat. Oh, guess what? And, and on Atkins, you can eat all the fucking bacon you want. Just, and you're <laughs> going to. Two gonna, pounds this morning. <laughs> yeah, you're going to shed the, you're, you're not going to believe how skinny you're going to get just eating bacon and whipped cream the rest <laughs> of your life, you know. Never mind your fucking heart's going to explode in yeah. a month or two. But, like, no, you're going to lose weight, and that's what people see, you know. And the thing is, like, the whole problem is the word diet. You know, people go on a diet. Well, that's just, it's not going to work. Everyone, science knows this. You can't go on a diet and then you're 
all of a sudden skinny and you're going to be skinny the rest of your life. What you do is you go on a diet. You go, oh, my God, all I, all I did was cut out soda and I've lost 30 pounds and now I'm a fucking supermodel and I'm going to live, you know, I'm going to be skinny the rest of my life and then I'm die old. That's not how it works, you know, because then your body gets used to that. And then, you know, anytime you like cut out anything, you're going to see some weight loss because you're not you know, drinking a thousand calories a day in soda, but you know, the, th- the problem with diets is they don't work because then yeah. you just, the second you go off them, then just put the weight back on plus 10 more pounds. What you have to do is, is change the way that you live your life, diet and exercise diet, meaning like in, with a big D, you know, like what you eat, not like yeah. a fad diet, but Calories in, calories out. That's all you fucking need to know. Is <laughs> it doesn't matter what the calories are made of. You know, what their fat, carbs, uh, get trans fat. Just what you really need to focus on is how much you're taking in and how much energy you're expending. It's a simple fucking math equation. You know. Yeah. What's amazing to me is that people that they. Okay, so first is the insane part where you just cut out something like soda and expect that to be like the fix all. It is really important that no one ever drinks soda ever. I'm just saying because I think it's (laughs) the worst thing (laughs) that we have as a society. Completely empty calories. Yeah, it's the worst thing you can do. Just substitute for tea or coffee or water because all of them are a lot better for you. Yes. But um, just the idea of cutting out that one thing would actually benefit you in some way in a long term. No. The best way, and and this isn't Adam saying this, this is – science slash reality saying it is to look at the way humankind has existed in all of human history prior to the industrial revolution you grew what you could eat or you grew and traded for it Mm -hmm. so you got a lot of grains you got a lot of vegetables every once in a while you got some fruits culturally regionally dependent and then it was a little bit of a rarity that you could actually like binge on meats like that you need to mm-hmm. just understand, don't eat a shit ton of meats, don't eat a shit ton of fruits, don't mm. eat a shit ton of grease. And don't eat a shit ton of anything. Of anything, yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes <laughs> down to is portion right. control. But just, and have an active lifestyle. You know, we mm-hmm. came as a species out of running, uh, hunting, which is a very physical activity. You had to travel miles and miles in order to find uh, something to kill to eat, to drag. You know, there wasn't a car to drag back to your freaking hut. Um, uh, you had to grow things. You were constantly active people. The more muscle you have, the stronger your metabolism is, and then you can break down the food that you eat into calories or store it in that muscle for future mm-hmm. use. Like, that's that's literally it. Don't overeat what your body does physically. And you don't even need a, a, like a formula for that. You know you don't have to supersize every fucking meal you get. <laughs> you, you just know that. You do it. Yeah. But you know you don't have to do it. And if yeah. you just did that one little thing of just saying, okay, well, this is really all I need. I don't need to eat until I feel full. I just need to eat what I know fits on one plate and I don't need more than that. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to go back for thirds or fourths or pile it so high. Like this is the worst thing. When I was a kid, we, my parents thought it was this great thing to go to Chuckarama. Do you have those near you? No. It's like it a buffet awesome. place. Yeah. And it's just fried foods like in this big buffet lines. And mm-hmm. we would just go and they would just stack food. So it was like falling off and they'd have to go back and get extra plates to put more food on. And yeah. 
like they wondered why they were struggling with weight to today. Like, just don't eat like that. What is wrong with you? Because yeah. you can do something doesn't mean you should. And you can you can move this. Uh, this is a really satanic principle. Another reason why I'm bringing this up is we're Epicureans in life. Uh, we we really shy away from compulsions. All right. So it's about experiencing the joys of life, the pleasures, but not as a compulsive. Uh, nature, not in a compulsive nature, um, just by appreciating what they are in in small amounts. So instead of having the box of wine, <laughs> maybe have a few glasses of wine. Instead yeah. of drinking the entire case of beer, maybe just have you know a handful of them, so that you can get your buzz on, feel great, but you're not going to be a big fat sloppy fucking mess and die at 37. Yeah. <laughs> And, it, and, yeah. and it's not because anyone is telling you not to. It's because if you are a Satanist who loves life, you are going to want to extend that life as long as possible. And that means a healthy life. That doesn't mean you can't eat pizza. That doesn't mean you can't drink wine. It just means you have to do it in moderation. Yeah. It's weird because I run across so many people that are so, so unhealthy and so miserable. Oh, my God. And like, I know. I'm miserable because I probably overexercise. <laughs> They're miserable because they don't do anything but consume. There's yeah. a medium that we could both find and, and we could just be super happy in. <laughs> like, I've, really. I've found it. I have found it. I am I'm going to trail in you. Holding rock zone right now. <laughs> I'm on the Aaron diet. <laughs> What you Man, do. I had pizza all weekend. I've been eating almost nothing but pizza this weekend. And you know what? I'm fine with that. Pizza diet. <laughs> all right, everyone. New diet. <laughs> Down in the crossroads pizza diet. Pizza and wine. As much pizza and wine as you want, and you will be amazed at how much you lose. <laughs> in liver. And <laughs> no, it's it I, it's such a simple thing and people really they just completely it's make a, their lives a mess trying it's to It's a hard lesson to learn. It was a really hard lesson for me to learn and I'm still learning it. I'm yeah. still tweaking it at all times because it, it it is a struggle and it's the, the thing that people you know, the probably the problem is that people do want a quick fix and it, it, there just isn't one as far as diet is concerned. It is a constant everyday decision that every meal, every moment you make decisions in life. Like I work out almost, you know, every single day I do something. Mm -hmm. Um, and you just, you know, it's a choice that you make. Pizza, okay, one or two slices, not the whole thing. You know, that's the problem. People want to just be like, okay, if I just cut this one thing out, then I can do whatever, the rest of the time I can do whatever I want. But it's just not that easy. You have to consciously think about what you're doing all the time. Yeah, there's a, a Mexican joint we go to and we get this, um, it's like a pork like taco salad thing. It's really good, but it's fucking huge. And so every time we go, I know that I have lunch the next day. Yeah, like I, exactly. I eat what I can, which is about half of it. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to put this aside. But that means I don't have to pay for lunch the next day. There's something called leftovers. <laughs> you don't have to consume everything all at once. Have it the next day and you can enjoy it again, which is amazing. And think um, of all the money you're saving, too. <laughs> yeah. I, there's just so, so many practical things. That there's Enjoy the donut. Just don't enjoy all 12 of them. <laughs> yeah, see, what what I do is if, if I want a treat, I split it with Josh. So at least, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm having some, but I'm not having the whole fucking thing, you know. But I don't deprive myself anymore because that's where the trouble starts, you know, when mm. you start like, oh, no more cookies ever. Never. I'm never going to need another brownie as long as I live. Well, that just is not reasonable. <laughs> you know? I think another part of it is that we – 
collectively as a society have these um, ideas of, of beautiful. And it's, it certainly connects with body type. And I'm hoping that no Satanist is going to fall into that pit trap. Um, every human being has a difference in their physiology and what their body can be. Uh, I talk about it a lot. We are born with innate capacity and our genes are have everything to do with that. Uh, mm-hmm. We can push it beyond what is natural to us. You know, we can go further or fall under whatever that line may be. But no matter what, sometimes if you just work out every single day, it doesn't matter. You're going to look a certain way. That is just yeah. your physiology. And you have to recognize it and accept it because no matter what you look like as long as you're healthy and as long as you want and you have a a healthy mindset uh, you will get all the things that you want in life someone will find you attractive someone (laughs) will want to connect with you there's no reason why you should look at a magazine cover and say I want to look like her because the truth is she doesn't even look like her. That's all fucking photoshopped. So (laughs) we have to have a realistic sense of what we can be. Live healthy. Don't deprive. Just be responsible about what you put into your body and how much you put in your body. And you're going to live a happy, satanic life. And I think it's really, really important. Um, (laughs) We should start a a satanic health blog. Oh, Uh, my God. Have you tried this fast food joint? It's really great. (laughs) Just like, hey, try this new wine. It's really nice. Out of Argentina. Um, All right. So anything else on that? You good? I'm good. I mean, I could go on for days, but I better not. <laughs> let's not, because I want to talk a little down on the crossroads. Oh, yes, girl. Right, so let's do that. Ever had a question about religion but couldn't find the answer? Are you interested or skeptical about cults, magic, or ritual? My name is Witch Zaftig. I'm a scholar of religion and a witch in the Church of Satan. Allow me to research your questions and answer them on my nine-cent segment, Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. I can address anything from Scientology to aliens, Moonies to ritual magic, even the Eucharist, and of course, all things satanic. Send your questions to zaftigworks at gmail.com and tune in every month to Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig, only on 9centspodcast.com. Standing in the back door crying. Ah, there you will. Sure you won't stay out in this blackout? Sure is dark tonight. Thank you for the ride, sir. I think I'll be fine. See yourself! What are you doing out here? Oh, I'm I'm headed down to the crossroads. Wait, miss. You can't be. You're the... You're the devil. devil. But you're... You're beautiful. beautiful. Just sign here. Oh my god. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's your good pal, Aaron. <laughs> Hi, Aaron. Hey, everybody. <laughs> um, So, welcome to Down to the Crossroads. This episode is number 38. Can you believe it? It's crazy. And this is called Lucky Red Devil Policy Players Dream Book Blues. And this will all make sense never. Uh, I mean, soon. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. All right. Let's hit play. The first, uh, we're going to jump right the fuck into it. So, oh, you follow along, everybody, at uh, I'm on Facebook, Chelsea Girl, 
Is that what, wait, Facebook? Yeah, no. Down to the crossroads. <laughs> Facebook is down to the crossroads. Twitter is Chelsea Girl 19. Uh, and I'll post the playlist for Spotify there. So let's hit play on the first song. Okay, this is Jim Jackson, and he is singing Policy Blues. And this is take two, but that's not important. Um, what is important. What's that? I love the record crackle. Isn't it great? I love that. Uh, okay, so let me explain a few things. So the policy was sort of a nickname for the illegal lottery, which was first introduced in Chicago in 1885. And there, was a, there were a lot of different names for this. You know, it's basically a lottery. It's the precursor to the lottery. Um, sort of African-Americans, you know, subset they called it policy and that it came from um so it came from you would bet the numbers but sometimes the <laughs> oh my god this, now i'm trying to explain it it's so confusing <laughs> so you it was basically a lottery where you pick three numbers and then they would um you would hope the numbers would come up obviously like a pick three lotto imagine that but mm. uh so the policy, and then the like, the Italians called it running the numbers, and the Cubans had a name for it too. And the, everybody had a different name for it, but it's basically just the lottery before the lottery was the lottery. And um, this right here is Jim Jackson singing "Policy Blues," and he kind of explains it. If I would, if I shut up and let you listen, he, <laughs> you would understand what's going on. But he's great. I love his voice. <laughs> Oh, he's great. Yeah. he. So this is Jim Jackson. He was born in Mississippi in the 1800s. And he was really influential, influential but kind of um, not very well known. As He started in medicine shows and did the minstrel shows and stuff like that. And um, eventually ended up in Memphis on, um, you know, Beale Street, basically playing the lotto. <laughs> so all of these songs are going to have to do with with policy and the policy wheel and what policy is and basically all you have to all you have to know is that it is the lottery it was a way of gambling and um but what's interesting about it was that there was there are a ton of blue songs where they talk about policy players policy blues the policy wheel it comes up a lot and it's um it was a mostly a chicago like in the 30s and 40s era and um i talked earlier about how there were these in groups and the, this idea of the policy um ties into that nicely where it was this sort of slang and when they talk about it in the songs they'd sing about it in the songs and only people who played you know played the same games as these guys understood what they were talking about and there was even numbers like associated with it <laughs> um and and whole books like these dream books where they would interpret dreams and the dreams would have some significance and then oh. like you would be assigned these numbers <laughs> It's crazy. So Based on the dream, yeah. that was great. I, I love, I love his his drawl. Yeah, and his singing is really nice. Almost, almost like preacher to the pulpit or something like that. Yeah, he was great. I mean, there's a, he's got a, a few songs that are definitely worth checking out. I don't think I've ever played him before. Hmm, um, so. No. Are you a are you a gambler? Well, see, no. Not really. <laughs> uh, I like gambling on games of skill, like 
poker. I love playing poker uh, because I have at least some control. I don't like gambling on games of chance. Like, I don't like leaving it because the house always wins, right? Like, mm. that's, they're set up that way. <laughs> Anyone who's ever gambled knows that the house always wins. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big gambler either. Like, if I if I just left Shauna to it, she would totally gamble. <laughs> oh, my God. My mom was such a gambler. Oh, I just don't, I don't see the draw personally, but it's a huge cultural thing. Even nowadays, even in our country, it, it's weird. Like I, people who don't have money will, yeah. when they get it, spend it on the lottery. Well, that's the <laughs> thing. Yes. Like that's the whole problem with the lottery. And it was definitely true back in the, in the thirties and forties when that, that's what this is all about is the fact that these guys were all, um, you know, the bookies and the numbers runners, they all really preyed on the poor black people. And it is sort of a way that we um, scam poor people out of their money because it's so appealing. I mean, it's so funny how this ties in with like the food thing, the diet mm -hmm. thing. It's just like, yeah. oh my God, like all I have to do is pay. Like, I mean, some of these these bets people were taking that I'm talking about there, they were penny aunties, you know, you paid a penny, but it could pay off huge. <laughs> but of course it never fucking did because the house always wins. You know, it's a, they wouldn't, people wouldn't run lotteries if they were losing money, you know, if people yeah. were actually winning big money. And that's, that's the thing is like, it's such a sucker's game, but I, you know, to some people it's worth the money that they pay because of the thrill that they get from it. Whereas people like me, I don't get that kind of thrill. I just go, Oh, I'm just fucking throwing away money. <laughs> but if you promise people that you give people this, this false sense, like, all you have to do is pay a penny and you could win millions of dollars. Then of course people are just going to keep giving and giving and giving this money. And now it's, you know, scratch offs and the mega bucks and shit like that but it's still people like thinking there's an easy fucking answer to things like oh all i have to do is cut out one thing and i'll be thin like or all i have to do is pay one dollar and i'll be rich it just mm -hmm. doesn't work that way and i think it's important to know like the way i look at it is you're trying to do the shortcut that we discussed before mm -hmm. but if you just found something that you're excited about, you're passionate about, and found a way to make money doing that, then you wouldn't have mm -hmm. to work for your money and you wouldn't have to hope that you could get lucky. Like, I don't understand the get lucky part. Make your own luck. Like, yeah. be a productive human and you will have money. Like, you won't have to worry about it. Yeah. It's amazing to me. Or at least enough that you can find a sense of happiness, you know? Right. I think everyone has a different figure in their head which which would be happiness for them yes. until they realize what they have to do to get that figure <laughs> and then, they're <laughs> then like, it changes yeah. but um yeah. yeah there was a study that was out um i think i talked about it before maybe but uh i don't know maybe a year or something ago that said and maybe it was even you that i talked about this there was uh, regionally dependent but it was around 70k that was like the amount a year for a happy lifestyle you're making enough that you don't have to uh, worry so much about bills, but then you're not making so much that you're working all the time. So yeah. you can actually enjoy the money you're making. So regionally, that'll you know shift a little bit higher or lower, but mm -hmm. that's that's sort of that sweet spot. Yeah, just kind of cool. Like just find instead of chasing that dream of being the billionaire, which chances are you're not gonna be. Yeah. Even if you get the lottery, you're not gonna be. Um, maybe just find that happy place. 
that financial Absolutely. happy place and live within your means and be a happy, healthy human. <laughs> and your life will be so much better than just chasing that, chasing that fucking lottery. I, I couldn't possibly agree more. <laughs> I couldn't possibly agree more. That's the secret. You pick a number and then work toward it. And, you know, we're, you know, we're like fish in a fishbowl. We're going to s- yeah. spend, if we have more money, we're just going to spend more. That's generally yeah, exactly. how it works. Exactly. So, all right, let's play another song. This one, uh, yeah. I mean, this is Kokomo Arnold, and this Whoa. is Policy Wheel Blues. And uh, so, uh, interestingly, um, Kokomo Arnold died on this day, November 8th, oh, in 1968. So that was, to, if I'm honest, this is part of the reason why I chose this theme, was that um, I wanted to honor Kokomo Arnold, who's such an interesting artist, and I, I don't think I've played him before either, but um, he deserves to be heard. Uh, he was born in... Right in like the early 1900s I think 1901 like I said he he died November 8th 1968 Uh, this again is an interesting song he's talking about playing the numbers but he mentions like mentions a specific sequence of numbers 41144 which comes up a lot in blues songs which is so interesting because and what is really interesting to me about this whole subject was the was the slang that derived from it because I'm such a I'm a sort of a language nerd mm-hmm. and I love slang I love what it means I love that it what it creates you know it, like I've said it creates you know the um the people who get it and the people who don't and that's what mm-hmm. slang is all about is sort of um making you know codifying like a group of people and saying this is who we are and if you don't understand what we're saying then you're not invited to our party you know and that's Mm -hmm. what it's it's always been about it's been about inclusion and exclusion you know like oh you speak our language you come sit with us at our table and if you don't then you fuck off and um (laughs) language plays into eci totally too Totally. Yes. I mean, this, it's so cool sometimes how we come together on these things that, uh, without even, you know, knowing what we're doing. But yeah. I think this all, you know, the down of this down of the crossroads segment really is tying in with everything we've talked about before. Um, but the idea that like, uh, you know, that the, they consulted these dream books, you know, but and there were all these numbers, like I said, this is four eleven forty four, and he mentions several sequences of numbers four eighteen fifty six, and you know, you can look up these books. There's several books, like Aunt Sally's Policy Player's Dream Book. Like there's, That's there were awesome. all these. Yeah, man, there were all these books, and they all look like you know, they've got pictures of like Aunt Jemima looking black women on the yes. covers, and <laughs> totally marketed to the same, you know, to these people, and and so eventually it became a sort of code, you know, these number sequences, thirteen, thirty-two, fifty-one. You look them up in these dream books, and they tell like, okay, the number fifty-two or number fourteen is a cat. So if you dream about a cat, then you should pick the number 14. But you can also go back, like these singers who are singing these songs, you could, if you heard the song, you could kind of decipher what he's talking about, you know? And it's so interesting to me. Like it was just a totally like another language. That would be really interesting to sort of reverse engineer in that someone's playing these three (laughs) numbers because of this book. You can sort of look at their life at that yes. point and decode what's going on in their yes. life and <laughs> and uh, really take advantage if you wanted to but you know just use it in lesser magic or something like that yeah I, that's really a cool idea I'd never even known about this before that's super fucking awesome you know so, I have to say before we dive into this last song yeah it would be really fucking cool if uh, one Lotto Land 
master mm. did a poster of the Lucky Red Devil policy players. <laughs> oh my god! Like a poster for that because I think that's a really <laughs> great name. It could have a little, uh, like a bandana version of Aaron up there. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. I don't know if we should put you in blackface, but <laughs> maybe not. Now's maybe but, uh, not the, the right bandana time. might do the trick. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. So uh, that's a great make, idea. Definitely. Make him do it. <laughs> I want to be a part of the Lucky. Red Devil <laughs> Policy Player. I will definitely broach that subject. <laughs> All right, let's play this last song. This is Bumblebee Slim, which is a great name. Uh, he's singing hey, can you politics. Pause it really quick? Sure, yeah. I, w- I wanted to bring up really quick Kokomo Arnold, the way he yeah. sang. Mm. It, just really great. I mean, he had speed. I mean, it, it was almost it was almost like it was hip hop. Yes. Yeah, yeah. His, his pacing. <laughs> It was yeah. really, really wonderful. I didn't want to go before I mentioned that because that's great. And he's a he's a, he's a lefty, so he played left-handed and he played the slide guitar. And he had this really interesting, like rapid-fire vocal style, which he picked yeah. up on for sure. Like that is very like spitting hip hop. You know, like they spit rhymes. Like he had yeah. a very spitfire sort of cadence and tone and um, rhythm to his voice. I'm glad you picked up on that. That's really good. Yeah, he had a really distinct sort of um singing style it's really interesting it was badass all right sorry let's, uh, yeah let's go back gonna, to Bumblebee. are you gonna hit play or back up and hit play let's back up and hit play i'm gonna back up all right so bumblebee slim this is uh, such a great name like i said so this is policy dream blues so this is he's basically having a sort of verbal sparring match with the um like a numbers writer which is the guy who sort of came around and said all right what number do you want to play today and so he shows up at on bumblebee slim's doorstep basically and um uh oh and this is where i got the name of the show because he references the red devil policy dream book uh which is just a, one of a number of different policy dream books where you could look up the numbers and again he mentions um four eleven forty four, and he put uh mentions eleven forty four, which is sort of a variation of that uh it's sort of the ultimate lucky number and it's but what's really interesting is that you can like you were saying reverse engineer you know decipher the code that way but what's tricky about that is that numbers often have a few meanings so uh you know some of the songs you can either interpret and it's funny because it's sort of a litmus test you can either interpret it in a lot of ways it's very like sexually explicit which of course i do because that i think that's <laughs> not only do i have a sick mind but um i also think that bumblebee slim did too you know um why would you speak in code if you were just going to talk about like washing clothes you know it's which true it's bullshit. You wouldn't do that. You would speak in code if you wanted to talk about your giant eggplant or your giant snake. You know, it's not, it's why would you bother making up code if you're just going to talk about washing your pants? It's, so don't, don't ever assume that something, if you, <laughs> if something needs to be decoded, that it's going to be decoded into something innocuous. It's always going to be something that someone, you know, there's a reason that they put it into code is because they don't want everybody to know what it means. You know, they want the in, in again with the in crowd. They want the insiders to get it and the outsiders to go, what the fuck are they talking about? And, you know, it's all the better. Like it separates the young from the old and, the, you know, the hip and the not hip. Um, but but this song is just great. You know, he's got a cool voice and all that shit. But um, and this is actually interestingly, like they talk about gig like he's oh what does he say it oh he says go on mr writer that gig ain't coming out and the gig was 
was slang for the bet that you would make. And it comes from horse, horse racing actually. Um, but that's where we get the word. Like when a artist, you know, when a musician goes to play a gig, like this is where we get the word is, is from policy making, policy betting, uh, which, you know, first originated with horse racing. Um, but the connection is that it was sort of a bet, like when artists would go out, so that's the song ended, I should acknowledge that, but I'm just going to keep <laughs> talking and talking. Um, so the word gig, you know, it's sort of a bet, like when a musician goes out to play somewhere, it's sort of like you don't actually, you know, at the time when this word was coined, like you didn't, they didn't know for sure if it was going to be a paid gig or not like it was sort of a gamble whether they were going to get paid or not so that's where we get the word gig and i just fuck this this is what i live for this shit it's like this kind of like making connections the past and the present and the future and shit like that so yeah no i think that was wonderful aaron thank you so much those were some really really great artists and the the concept i think was even better around it so <laughs> i think that's that's fantastic i'd never I had heard about that before like if, if it wasn't so for you i would never know about it which <clears throat> i feel better knowing that's <laughs> why i do this <laughs> cool hell yeah um all right so we've already mentioned where people can find you online facebook down at the crossroads twitter chelsea girl 19 uh check out these playlists uh the little snippets that i play during this are not enough you really really owe it to yourself to check out this really really great music um but uh you know i think that's going to do it for the show oh my goodness yeah it's already over (laughs) we've already run over an hour too i time flies because i enjoy talking with you so much um, thank you everyone for tuning in we really do appreciate it and how about you reach out to Erin and let her know how much you appreciate her segment and what she brings to you every month um, you can always visit 9centspodcast.com and get show notes and everything uh, connect with uh, music or past episodes and send your correspondence if you want to let us know something let us know what you're thinking to info at 9centspodcast.com uh, we appreciate your suggestions critiques corrections or any general comments you might have you can find us find us in social media Saintnet, Facebook Google Plus Twitter MySpace we're going to give you uh, weekly topics but we're also going to let you know of other Satanists different either podcasts or projects or music or art shows or whatever so there's a lot of stuff going on that if you just tuned in you would hear about this is one way of doing so of course you can download the shows monday via the rss feed found at nine cents podcast.com but we're also on last fm stitcher itunes youtube however you get us however you tune in leave us a rating or comment we really appreciate it we're not always going to reply to your comments but we always appreciate and (laughs) we do always read them or at least i do (laughs) it's a compulsion of mine actually probably stop i don't want to hear what you have to say leave me alone um no it's not true uh if you want to know more about satanism or the church of satan churchofsatan.com the Devil's Notebook is one. We just talked about one of the essays today. Satanic Bible, Satanic Scriptures. It's really important that you explore these different ideas that are brought about in these different volumes. Uh, you're only doing yourself a service by doing so. And remember that the only way we're going to continue doing this podcast is via your interaction. Share this bitch, people. Come on. <laughs> this bitch wants to be shared. Spread it. Just spread around everyone. Um, we got to find out what the numbers would be for that. Anyway, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Aaron. It's a beautiful, beautiful Aaron. And until next week, people, hail Satan! Hail Satan. <laughs> it's like, hey! Hail Satan! <laughs> <laughs>